Um, so, so tonight we're, we're talking through twisted scripture still. We're in Matthew 18, and the verse that, that has been a little bit twisted, maybe taken out of context, is Matthew 18, 20. Um, Jenny, you got it up on the screen for me? All right, let me, let me read that. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Someone say, oh. yep, that's Jesus talking. And you've, you, give me, give me a little hand raise if you've heard that verse before, okay? Now, give me a little hand raise if you've heard that verse before when someone was talking about prayer, okay? Most people, if you've heard that, it's like, all right, we're praying, and isn't it sweet that we're two or three are gathered, that there Jesus is, and so it's cool that we're together while we're praying. It's a beautiful thing. That, that's not really what the context of this verse is about, because if you think about it, that gets kind of weird where it's like, all right, I'm praying by myself, and Jesus, I think you're still here, but are you like less here than before? Like, can I get a couple friends just to hang out so I can pray better, harder? Is that my, right? Like, if you press it a little bit in that context, context, it starts to stop making sense. Another way I've heard it twisted is, is people saying, I don't really need to show up for Salt Company. I don't need to show up for connection group because I got my Christian buds and we're two or three are gathered. Jesus is there, suckers, right? So we could just be playing Xbox together and Jesus will be with us, dude. What? Right? I think, ladies, I think that's why you actually go to the bathroom together, right? It's like, okay, I need a friend, then Jesus will be with me. Okay, I don't know what's going to happen. So come on, ladies, let's, right? I still haven't cracked that one yet. That's fine. Um, it becomes this almost excuse sometimes when pressed too hard to not actually engage in the kind of community that Jesus created, right? Like Jesus invented the church. Jesus invented community among his people, but we can take this thing he said and go, Oh, I don't really need to do that part. Cause we're two or three gathered. Jesus is here like more Mountain Dew, more hanging out. And, and we can almost get this point too, where we, we say, because we're Christians hanging out, then it's fellowship. Like we don't talk about Jesus. We don't really pray. We don't really confess him, but it's fellowship because we're Christians, right? And functionally, fundamentally, we don't look any different than any other friend group, really, at a certain point. But we've kind of slapped the name of Jesus on, so we feel better. Both both of those examples, one is a little bit more um, rough around the edges than the other, but but both of them kind of lift this verse out of context and drop it somewhere else where it starts to mean some things that are a little strange when you think about it. Like Jesus is still with you when you're praying by yourself the same amount as when you're praying with other people. Yeah, Jesus is with you when you're hanging out with your, with your friends or going to the bathroom with your friends. But the, he also invented community and the church among his people. He's not, one's not opposed to the other. So we got we to gotta get this verse in context to really understand what's going on. And here's the deal. Tonight we're going to talk about conflict. Someone say conflict. Yep, y'all been there. We all been in some conflict. The world's in conflict. We have conflict in here. We got conflict out there. There's conflict everywhere, everywhere in, in life and existence. And in fact, um, you might not be a Christian because of how other Christians have dealt with conflict. Like, like maybe even tonight you're coming and checking out this Saul Company thing and you're like, Jesus is really compelling and he's really interesting, but I don't. I don't really like these Christians. Like, I don't really get this whole thing because a lot of stuff he says, they don't really seem to live. Maybe you are a Christian or, or you've had a church background and you've got something we call church hurt, right? Like, like your family got into some conflict you don't even fully understand, but you like left a church. 
And so people that used to be your friends, you're kind of not friends anymore for some reason. You don't get it, but there was conflict that wasn't handled well. Maybe even among a group of friends that were Christians, conflict got into there and all of a sudden you guys don't hang out anymore. You don't talk anymore. You don't, you don't fellowship, whatever we're going to call it, right? Conflict got in and it started breaking things apart. A few years ago, this is a number of years ago now, um, there was a really compelling friend group in Salt Company out of Kirkwood. And it was like guys and girls together. And like they, like this group had some, some gravity to it. Like people wanted to be in on this group. And, and some folks were, were going to school at Kirkwood. Others were just like, like just working, but they, they would hang out every week. They were, they were always hanging out together. And this classic story happens. A girl in the friend group comes to know Jesus, right? Beautiful thing. I love it. That's community in action. And then she starts dating a boy. Someone say, oh, yep, that's right. That happens, guys. Dating is not a bad thing, but it's all cute and sweet. And then they break up. And then the awe becomes, oh, right? Like, like all of a sudden, what do we have? We, have, we start to have some conflict in there. Because with, with the breakup, there, there becomes some misunderstanding that turns into to venting, which is really gossip, right? And, and then all of a sudden, some people are like left out of, of people that used to be their closest friends and community. All of a sudden, some people that were, that were in and were known and were loved all of a sudden are ghosted. We as the staff like tried to, to not jump in the middle of that because it's like kids, like clean up your own mess, right? But, but trying to coach and, and help and like, okay, listen, yeah, that conversation, go and have it this way. That would be really great if you didn't know, talk to those five people, but actually talk to the person you have a cop. Like we're trying to sort this thing out. And it came to a point where literally we just get the whole group together and we sit them in a room and we go, guys, what is going on? Like, we love you and you're tearing yourselves apart. And, and what I saw from the outside was potential for gospel movement and mission on their campus that was torn apart by conflict handled poorly. Like you, none of you were in that group, but you've probably seen things like that happen before. If you look in from the outside, you might not see anything different among groups of Christians having conflict than anyone else in the world. There's got to be a better way. Like there's got to be something different and more because there's, there's so much potential in a room like this. Doesn't Jesus have something for us better than everyone else when it comes to conflict? And the two bad ways to deal with conflict are to ignore it and get lax. And it's like, whatever, dude, like we're non-judgmental. So do whatever you want, right? That, that doesn't seem to work with what Jesus said. But we also don't want to be people that are like policing and like getting after anyone who gets on anything because that just makes more conflict. Both of them lead to conflict. How do we actually deal with conflict in a way that honors Jesus, that builds people up and makes this a safe place to be in process and not have it all figured out. Like, wouldn't you actually want to be part of a group that doesn't gossip behind your back, but talks to your face because they love you and they care about you, even saying hard things to you because they love you? That's what I want. Isn't there a better way? And if so, what is it? Like, what has Jesus done to actually help us be different? That's where we're going tonight. Matthew 18. Our passage is 18 verses 15 through 20. If you've got a Bible flip there, if you don't know where that's at in the Bible, index is your best friend. There's no shame in that. It's beautiful. Um, 
to give you some quick context, this passage comes in between two parables. Someone say parable, right? Parables are stories with one point that Jesus told to try to teach something through, through a story you can relate to. So the first parable is about a guy who's got a bunch of sheep. He's got a hundred of them. One goes running off and he goes and he finds that sheep and brings it back. And he says, that's the joy of the father. When one person repents, they comes back, they come back. There's reconciliation there. The, the other parable at the end is about a guy who owes a powerful man a lot of money. Like in today's money, $6 billion. Like more than you can pay how you spend $6 billion. I don't know, but he owes that dude that much money. And the guy goes to him and goes, hey, I forgive you. Like you don't owe me anything anymore. Go off and do it. So this guy who's forgiven, he, he goes off and finds a dude who owes him 12 grand, which 12 grand is a lot, right? Don't go off and spend 12 grand. If you owe 12 grand, that's a lot of money. Student loans, what up? Um, but 12 grand is not the same as 6 billion, right? But this dude that was forgiven 6 billion finds the guy who owes him 12 grand and he chokes the dude out, like literally chokes him out and goes, give me what you owe me. Take this man, put him in jail until he pays me everything back. And the man who forgave him 6 billion finds out about that and goes, no, 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 no. Like, that's not right. I, I treated you differently. And he, he takes this man, the central character, and he throws him in jail after forgiving his dad. So it's a story about forgiveness and conflict there too, right? We've got one about reconciliation, going, finding the sheep and bringing them back. Another about what happens when that reconciliation doesn't hit home in your heart and your life. Okay, that, that's context. And that's really important. Matthew put those in particular right around this passage for a reason. All right. Bible scholars, we good? Someone say, yup. Let's get there. Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20. I'm going to read the whole thing out loud. And then we're going to talk through it. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you, or to y'all, to the group of you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on anything about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. All right, we heard verse 20, that, that one we've heard in a few different contexts. All of a sudden, Jesus is talking about how do you manage conflict? How do you handle sin in the church with other people? We're going to start walking through that together. And it might get more clear to more confusing, but we got to walk there with Jesus to understand what he means when he says, I'm with you. So look at verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now, when he's talking about brother, he's not literally talking about like, hey, if you've got siblings, then you guys are fighting, right? He, he's saying in the church, okay, if you're fighting your siblings, like go deal with that stuff. But, but actually what Jesus does is he makes us family. Like the way we relate to each other is actually supposed to be different than the way we relate to anyone else. If you're a Christian tonight, you are my brother or sister and you're brothers and sisters to other Christians. That ups the ante a little bit for how we treat each other, right? We're no longer people that you can just kind of ghost or ignore if they start to become a little too toxic, but, but actually family where what they do affects us 
and we can't really escape it. Like that's one of the hardest things about family. You can't actually shake your family off, right? Like you can do a lot of things to try to distance yourself from your family, but, but the, the marks of that still linger your whole life. The family name might come with you the whole life. Those relationships last your whole life. So if your brother or sister, if someone else in Christ sins against you, what do you do with that? You go and you show them their fault. Like you go and you tell them how they sinned against you. You go and you talk to them face to face about the kind of junk that's gone on between you. And this requires you to know something very important. The difference between sin and strangeness. Like strangeness busting in, knocking chairs over and whatever in the middle of salt company. That's not a sin, right? Um, someone say strangeness. All y'all are strange. Like you got your own quirks, you got your own weirdness. And if you came over to my house, you'd be like, that dude's strange too, right? Like we, we all have those things that aren't wrong, but they're just a little different. But sometimes we can take those differences and we can, we can build them up in our, in our mind where it's like, if you're not like me, that means you must be wrong. When actually God tells us clearly what is sin and what's not sin to him, and he's the one that makes the standard. We got to figure out the difference between sin and strangeness based on God's word to go and, and tell somebody about that. God's words are authority, not like being judgmental or petty towards other people, but, but as a family, looking at our heavenly father and going, man, what does the father want for them and for me? What does he want for their good and their growth? And what's the goal of this? Like the goal of all of this in the context that Matthew gives is, is reconciliation. Someone say reconciliation. Reconciliation is when two people, two parties come back together after brokenness. Like it takes two to reconcile. Reconciliation isn't a one-way street. Both people have to come back together for it. But that's the goal. That's the heart. And, and when that happens, it's a beautiful thing. Like he says, you've gained your brother. You've gained something precious and beautiful back. Guys, I just want you to know this kind of thing happens all the time. And you might have never heard about it. It's an incredible thing that I hope is actually going on all around you. And when you get to be part of it, that gaining that person back is a holy moment. Some of my closest and deepest friends are the people that have called me out on sin because they loved me and wanted to reconcile. Some of the dearest people I know in my life are people that have called out my junk because they love me, right? I, I could tell you stories about Jordan Adams, who's um, on staff in, in Minneapolis at the church plant there, or David Livingston, who's on, on staff in Madison. Um, Jenny and I used to be on staff, and Jenny set a really great pace of calling me out for being a dingus, okay? Because, guys, I'm a dingus a lot of the time, and I don't know it. Like, sometimes you sin against people and you don't know it because you're a dingus, right? Let's be real. So, so Jenny would come to me with things like, hey, Nathan, like, you probably don't know this, but it, but it hurt me when you excluded me in that way. And you probably didn't even realize it, but, but that's what happened. I'd sinned against her and she came and brought my fault to me. And that gave me a chance to go, oh, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't, that was not my intention at all. And our, our friendship actually grew because she called me out on my sin. Like I see her more as a sister in Christ because of those moments. Jesus is actually inviting us to something beautiful and attractive among his people when you go and you step into conflict, sin with another believer. But it doesn't always work the first try, right? 
Like there, there are so many of those moments that I think are actually happening all the time, but, but sometimes that initial conversation doesn't go so well where, where maybe the person being confronted doesn't see their sin. Maybe they're like, no, no, you think it's sin. It's just, it's just kind of what I do. It's strangeness, whatever, if you want to call it that. Maybe there's, there's enough brokenness where they just aren't ready to hear that voice. Jesus keeps laying out what this looks like. Verse 16. But if he or he or she does not listen, if your brother or sister doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this isn't saying like, all right, go get your posse, gang up, get ready to confront, right? Two or three of you, you come together and go, listen, sinner, we got you now, right? That, that is not the goal. Don't, take, don't write that down. That is not your note for tonight, okay? But part of this is a check on the person doing the confronting. Like part of what this is, is it's not saying other people needed to see the exact sin, but you go to other people, you go, okay, hey, is that sin? Is what happened sin or am I interpreting it wrong? Like is what they did, speaking of strangeness, is what they did wrong or, or, or am I wrong in that? Like it's a, it's a gut check for the person doing the confronting and a protection too that the community, the family, the body doesn't become all about these extra rules we put up against each other. Because imagine if, you, if, if it was all about just the extra rules, like say, listen, guys, you can only date if you've been in the same friend group for two plus years if you've asked their father for permission at least twice, and if you've got a clear game plan for the first four dates and the kinds of conversations you're going to have, right? Then you can date them. And all of a sudden, a guy goes and asks the girls, like, hey, can I get coffee with you? And you're like, well, have you talked to my father yet, young man? Right? That's a little strangeness. Now, there's some good wisdom in that. There's a lot of help in that. Those could be really helpful things, but that's not in the Bible. And so all of a sudden, we need protection to go like, listen, is that what God's word says? Or is that just kind of this, this wise culture that maybe we're elevating too far? But what you do if that first confrontation doesn't lead to reconciliation is you get two or three other people and go, hey, am I seeing this correctly? Like, am I right on this? And, and if they're saying, yeah, I think, I think what you're saying is right, you go together and have that conversation. And it's not ganging up, it's not bullying, but it's, it's a conversation together to get to truth and to reconciliation. What happens if that doesn't work? Verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, the crazy thing about this is it's before Jesus actually started the church. Like he was laying some seeds that were going to sprout into the church in Acts for his people before it even started because he knew conflict was going to come. He gave them a blueprint so they didn't have to figure it out game time. They had a game plan to run before it happened. And you see that happen in Acts. Actually, it's beautiful. that They picked up on what Jesus was saying. But when he says the church is basically saying like this family together, if there's brokenness in our family, we got to deal with it together. It's not about shaming or blaming or hurting that person, but it's about calling them back to reconciliation, restored relationship. And again, this is maybe where some church hurts happen. Um, I got to talk about conflict like this on a Sunday, the end of our second Thessalonian series. And I mentioned a story from my, my wife's background where she knew a kid in, in youth group um, and these two kids were fooling around doing stuff that was sin. And so their, the first step of discipline as a church was to bring the, the kid up at church and go, all right, confess to church what you've done, right? Like trying to apply this stuff but yep, cringy. <laughs> like, 
And as far as my wife's aware, that guy just stopped coming around because he didn't feel reconciled and restored. It wasn't relationship, but it was rebuke. It was punishment, right? As far as, as, far as what was going on in his life, they didn't walk through the steps to invite him to confess. They, they told him like, all right, you sinned, so you're going to confess because you sinned on church property. And what that does is it makes us likely to hide our sin, right? I'm not going to confess my sin if I got to go confess in front of everyone. It makes us more brittle where we don't want to, to, be, to be poked and prodded because we know that there are worse consequences. It's not reconciliation. It's, it's public humiliation often. Now, again, I think that that church had good intentions and we're probably trying to live this out. But if we take the, the laws without the heart, without the context of reconciliation, we miss it completely and we get off. It says, if he refuses... If he doesn't want to recognize what God's word calls sin as sin, then you treat him like a Gentile and a tax collector. Some say Gentile, right? It's not gentle, Gentile, okay? Um, a, a Gentile is someone who is non-Jewish because Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience here. Or a tax collector was someone who actually co-opted with the Romans who were oppressing the Jewish people to take money from their own people. So it's kind of like, not one of us or a traitor to one of us. You treat that person like them. And at first that sounds really harsh, right? Like, okay, if you refuse to listen, you're not one of us, get out. You're not in the family. But Jesus is actually talking about a spiritual reality, like confession and listening when, when people around you point out your sin is actually just a response to the Holy Spirit and what God's done. But if someone consistently says like, hey, I know God's word calls that sin, but I, I really don't see it that way. I don't care. Essentially, they're just telling us the condition of their heart is, uh, I'm not one of God's family. Like, if God's not my father, and I don't want to listen to what he's saying. We as a, as a community go, okay, like, we'll give you what you want there. But think about it. How do you treat non-Christians? How do you treat non-Christians in your classes or, or in your life? I hope you actually see a missional responsibility. Someone say responsibility. I hope you actually see the responsibility you have to witness Jesus to those people for them to be reconciled to God, right? We don't treat people like outsiders, like, okay, you can't hang out with us. I'm sorry. You invite them in. You invite them back so that they can hear the good news about Jesus. And that's hard if someone has rejected you, rejected your, your counsel or, or even this process. But we begin to treat them with, with a kind of missional love even if we can't treat them with like a familial love, right? If someone rejects our efforts to reconcile, we don't treat them badly. We treat them like someone we share the gospel with. We share Jesus with. And just to be real, guys, this is convicting because sometimes I can be harsher with Christians than non-Christians, right? Like, all right, have you guys seen The Office? Okay, hold on, pause real quick. I have to ask because... I'm in adult ministry now. I'm an old man. I don't know if this works with you. I know Kyler's been watching The Office, but watch reruns on Netflix while you can, okay? Um, there's this amazing scene where Michael Scott is preparing for a fun run to raise money for rabies. Yep, you know where I'm going with this? And dude decides to carb load like 10 minutes before the race starts, right? Which Kyler relates because he was a cross-country runner, still a runner, but just not on the team anymore. Um, you carb load well before the race, not 10 minutes before, right? Because otherwise you get that little upset tummy, okay? And you get more than the upset tummy. Sometimes you get the little, yeah, everything. We don't need to go there. Okay. Um, if you haven't seen The Office, go watch it. You'll get the reference later. But 
listen, if, if we're, if we're playing spike ball together, okay. And if you're on the other team and you're like, hold on a minute, let me eat some Alfredo. I'm going to be like, yeah, go for it. You can have more Alfredo. That's fine for you. And my team and I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Let's go. Which you don't want to be on my team. Cause I'm not good at spike ball. Um, but if you're my teammate and you start eating Alfredo, I'm going to be salty. Like, so help me. I'll smack the fork out of your hand. Like we've got a game to win right now. Right. If, if you are on the other team and you're just being buck wild and silly, that's okay with me. But if you're on my team, I'm going to treat you differently than that. If you're not a Christian and you decide you're going to live with your boyfriend or girlfriend, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't. Like statistically, you're more likely to get divorced. Breaking up is actually like a really hard, terrible thing that breaks apart friends, friend groups more often when you live together. It, it, it makes it so you have a different kind of pressure about whether or not you can actually decide if you want to be with this person because you've made promises and commitments that are way out of step with where you're at in life. It's, it's a terrible idea. But if you're not a Christian, I can tell you it's a bad idea. But, but if you're not part of the family, like, okay, I have a different kind of responsibility to you. If you're a Christian, like if we're on the same team, if we're in the same family and you start living with your boyfriend and girlfriend, I have a whole nother level of responsibility, like smacking the Alfredo sauce out of your hands, right? Like, no, that's not good for you. That's bad for your witness. And again, to be real, sometimes I can write off and be harsher with Christians in sin than with non-Christians. Like that's some of the tension of dealing with conflict here where it matters to God. It matters for that person's life but we don't write off the relationship unless they consistently say, no, I don't want God. No, I don't want to follow the Bible. And then we go, okay, I'm going to treat you like a non-Christian. Can I tell you about how good Jesus is? Can I tell you how good he is and how he wants you? He wants relationship with you. Look at verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on, on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. In this context, he's talking about the community and, and what we're saying is true or false about God, what we're allowing in. Actually, rabbit trail for a second. In chapter 16, he talks to Peter and he says, I will build my church on this Peter, this rock, this foundation. And what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, okay? And so some people have said, okay, then Peter's the dude, he's the Pope, this is the guy we got to follow. But then two chapters later, Jesus gives that authority actually to the church community together, like to all the disciples. He says, if you've confessed that I'm your Lord, then you guys together have a responsibility to tell the world what's in and what's out with me and the Father. And so your prayer life takes a different level. Like whatever you agree on when you ask, he's talking about the context of reconciliation and, and extending hope and family ties to people. But he's also talking about responsibility in that too. Like this is a big deal. This means how we treat each other isn't, isn't a small thing. It has supernatural implications. Conflict in your friend group has supernatural implications. The way you deal with a person who sinned against you in the family has supernatural implications. It doesn't mean we decide if people are saved or not, but, but it does affect people's spiritual lives and the way that we go about this. Look at verse 20 again. This is our, our twisted scripture again for tonight. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Where two or three are gathered 
is a reference to witnesses earlier. But Jesus is basically saying, I'm lending my stamp of authority and approval on this process of conflict resolution, on this process of discipline, on this process of you treating each other the way that I'm asking you to treat each other. His presence, his protection, his oversight is in a way that we deal with each other, especially in that way. And it's comforting and challenging. Like comforting because I freaking hate conflict. I hate it. Like I don't want to go and talk to someone who's sinned against me. I want to talk to other people, right? I don't want to go talk to them one-on-one because they hurt me. It's comforting because Jesus is saying like when you, when you walk this process as a church together that I'm giving you, I'm with you. Like I'm comforting you. I'm speaking truth to you. I'm reminding you who I am. I'm working there. But it's also challenging Because Jesus is saying that, listen, how you do this matters to him. Like, there's there's not room for gossip. There's not room for ghosting. There's not room for breaking down relationships because someone else is toxic in the church. No. How we treat each other matters to Jesus. Because the way we treat each other is a reflection of how Jesus has treated us. Like, he doesn't just tell you, okay, go out and try harder to deal with conflict well. He actually did this first for you. And then he invites you into the process. Like you and I broke our relationship with the God of the universe. Like you have stiff armed the God of the universe. You said, God, I know you've got good things for me, but I don't actually want you. I want the things that you've got for me more than I want you. I want your created stuff. Or I want to be the center of my universe. I don't actually want you for you. I either don't want you at all or I just want your stuff, your genie in the bottle to me. You create a conflict with God. You broke down relationship with God. What did God do for you? Did he ghost you? Like, did he, did he hide away from you and wait for you to clean up your act and come grovel? Like, he actually started a rescue plan to go and engage with you in reconciliation. That's what Jesus did. He stepped down from eternity, this bridge that we broke apart. He stepped down into human flesh to invite us back to relationship. And he offered us forgiveness. Someone say forgiveness. Here's the thing. Forgiveness is free to you and really expensive to Jesus. He paid for it with his blood on the cross and he offers it to you as a gift. Not terms and conditions, not try hard to do better, but but freely to you to be in relationship with him. And he's going to change you. He's going to give you hope. He's going to mold you. But it's not because of how hard you could try. It's because of what he's already done. And then he says, okay, I've treated you like this and I continue to treat you like this. You know, the other people that I've, I've given this gift to, how about you go and treat them like I've treated you? Right? Like this, this whole process is just Jesus saying like, I've given myself for you and now reflect just a little bit of that to each other. And again, he's not saying everyone out there. He's saying in here, start in here, start with the people that you already know have accepted this gift. And it's comforting because, man, if he's done that for us and he's done that for them, he's working in both of us to to reconcile, to restore us. Forgiveness, again, was costly to him and free to you, but you imaging, you mirroring, you, you flowing that to another person that might require you to swallow your pride that might require you to swallow the the list of of things someone else has to do to get back in a relationship that might look like you taking the burden of it 
and offering it freely to them, right? Forgiveness without condition that they try harder, do better, meet your illicit demands. Because again, when Jesus says, go show their sin, go show the sin to them and invite reconciliation. He doesn't say, go give them a list of things they got to do right next time before you can get in a relationship, right? Because he didn't do that for you first. It's your turn to go and treat other people like that. And we seek to restore life and health in this family because of what Jesus has done for us first. His presence and his authority are with us in this process. Here's just a big idea to slap some language on it. How we handle conflict matters because Jesus is with us. It's a comfort and it's a challenge, right? Let me just give you a practical word of advice. You've got to do this face-to-face. You cannot do this process messaging someone. I've seen it go wrong 100 times out of 100. Like you go like, okay, they sinned against me. We got to deal with this thing. Okay, great. I'll just drop them a text at 1030 at night, right? That's going to blow up in your face. That's not reconciliation. That's you hiding. It it does take some guts to go talk that person one-on-one. But your hope isn't in how the conversation is going to go. It's in what Jesus has already done for you. You step in as a reconciler because you're a reconciled person. Don't do it over text. Do it face-to-face. You can see that person's emotion. You can see their heart, and they can see yours. Reconciling happens there. Again, I told you, I, I preached something like this out of Second Thessalonians a couple months back. And in response, a lady emailed her entire connection group with um, things that they had done wrong, right? And she's like, well, I'm applying the message. It's like, no, you're not, okay? That's, that's not how that works. A, a, mass, a mass email to a group is not how you handle this one-on-one, interpersonal. And again, examine the Bible. Is this sin or strangeness? Is this actually what God says? Or is this my opinion, my culture, my, my expectations? Examine your heart. Do you want good? Do you want reconciliation? Or do you just want to be right and prove them wrong? Go in person. This is so, so hard. But offering forgiveness without conditions is what Jesus already did for us. And if they reject you, ask a couple of friends to come. Like, don't gossip, don't vent, but here's the difference between gossip and actually doing this right. If you're just sharing just to share the news and you're all going to talk about how bad it is, that's gossip, right? Even if you're just like, I just got to get this off my chest. Can you believe what Stacy did? Wow. It, was it sin? I think it was sin. You think it was sin? Okay. Yep. We all think it was sin, right? That's gossip. I don't know if there's a Stacy in the room. That wasn't for you, girl. Um, the difference between that and actually living this process is if there's, if there's a responsibility to act on it. If I come to you and say, hey, I think, I think this person sinned against me in this way, do you see that same thing? The way that's not gossip, if, if you hold me accountable, like, okay, are you going to go talk to them? Like, are, are we going to do something about this because we care about them? We're not building a case against them, but are, are you stepping in, right? So again, gossip is just talk, but actual reconciliation, there's action and accountability that comes with it too. And when Jesus says, share with the church, in a context like Saul, can we talk to your connection leader and talk to staffers? Like they're connected in. That's part of being part of Veritas Church. That's a beautiful advantage you have. We get to live this process out together. And, and if it really escalates, man, the men and women that lead this ministry and your connection groups too get to help you deal with this process well together. 
that's if you're the confronter, right? If, if that, if you're the one who is confronted and listen, pray and seek the scriptures, it doesn't mean every person who confronts you is right. That, that's totally cool. But check your heart, check your motives. Pray that God would, would give you wisdom too. And seek the scriptures to see if what they're saying is true. And if even 1% of it's accurate, you've gained 1%, right? This is so freaking hard. It's hard. Someone say hard. This is hard to do. What's at stake here? Like, what actually would happen if we began to do this together? I think we would actually be the kind of community where sin doesn't get a pass because it, it matters to God. It matters so much he sent Jesus to die. But also people would have freedom to grow. Like, freedom to be messy, freedom to be in process with a hope of reconciliation. How we handle conflict matters because Jesus is with us. Imagine what would happen if your campus or the people you work with could look at how you guys handle conflict and see Jesus in action. Everyone in the world has conflict, but not everyone has Jesus, the reconciler who's brought us into relationship. In fact, your conflict as a friend group could become the seed that grows and builds a gospel movement. Conflict could be the opportunity that God has been giving you as a gift to witness the gospel and show Christ's love to the world around It's a beautiful thing. Jesus told us how to handle this, and he is with us in the process. Let's go out and deal with our conflicts, guys. Let me pray.